That sounds like more fun if you guys want to go down there. You turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, after that ex- uh, uh, overzealous uh, or way over the top comparison, I'll try to live up to some of the compliment. Um, so you can go ahead and pull that picture up. That's fine. That's fine. Um, the uh, Is it up? What happened to it? That's all right. So uh, Oliver, he came home and he said, Dad, I want to be a part of FFA. I said, okay, that's great. I want you to be a part of things. FFA is good. And he said, Dad, I got to go to this uh, competition. And I said, okay, uh, you know, what, what's go- going on with the competition? He said, we're going to go judge cows. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Do we know anything about judging? And uh, he said, no, but they said... They said, we don't need to know anything. I said, oh, okay, so you don't need to know anything, but you're going to judge. He said, yes. I said, well, let me teach you everything I know about judging cows. And, and as you look at this picture here, it's kind of a little blurry, but uh, as you look at it, I, I can tell you exactly what kind of cows these are. Okay, Mike, you tell me if I'm right or wrong here. Mike Rich. These are what's called summer cows. Some are brown, some are white. What do you think, Mike? I mean, that's pretty good stuff. No? It works for all, for all cows. When you're driving down the road, you want to just, with the kids, you just say, hey, kids, look, those are summer cows over there. You know, some are white. You know, you just, it really plays well. Um, you know, you could say some are licking their noses, some aren't. You know, it, it really, it's a highly versatile joke, and I just wanted you to know about it. So that's, that's really everything I know about judging cows. Um, uh, so I, you know, I think Oliver is going to be in good shape for his FFA uh, adventure. So uh, this morning uh, we are actually going to talk a little bit about judging. We're going to talk about uh, what Jesus is doing to help us understand His kingdom. Our series has been looking at Christ coming and bringing His kingdom, and what does it mean for us to live under His authority, sort of under His jurisdiction? Like, everything is God's, all belongs to him, and I give my life to him. So how do I walk and navigate in this world as a child of God belonging to him? I hope that this series has been encouraging to you. We've looked and addressed a lot at our own sort of heart, exposing sort of some of the brokenness that's within each and every one of us to say, God, there are parts of my life that I need you to reign over that I really haven't let you. And last week's challenge was to sort of look at our own hypocrisy, our own sort of waywardness of letting people think that we have it all together when really there are things in our life that we are uh, still needing Christ to take reign over and to work in us. All of us are a work in progress. All of us need to turn our lives over to Christ. And I hope that this series has been encouraging you to say, you know, what does it mean for me to live in the kingdom of God with Christ as my Lord and King and Savior. Let's start with prayer, and we'll get right into it. God, we love you so much, and I thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be together as your children, loved by you, saved by you, forgiven by you. Lord, that we can have new life in your kingdom. 
this morning as we seek to encourage one another through your word. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts, that today we would know that we have a life in you and a life together. And what you are calling us to, God, is honesty and humility and hospitality in our life. Lord, that we would be a loving community that points people to your love. Lord, as we just sit and learn and are encouraged by your word and your spirit today, we pray that you would stir in our hearts compassion and kindness, that you would work in our lives, Lord, to see where we need to turn to you, convict us, Lord, of our sins and our brokenness, but also, Lord, lift us up. Let us know that we are one in you. Thank you for today, Lord. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today's passage is found in Matthew 25. Now, everything leading up to uh, 25 verse 31 is a bit of Jesus communicating to uh, his disciples that they need to be wise and they need to be ready. Wise and ready. Each of the parables and everything that Jesus is doing is saying, guys, I want you to anticipate that there is a season in which I won't be with you. He is preparing them. These are in the final days of Jesus' earthly ministry in which Jesus is saying to them, guys, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be a part of this uh, for a little while where I won't be with you, walking with you, teaching with you. I am leaving. And the guys are like, oh, no, that's not how it's going to go. And Jesus is saying, well, yes, it is. And I want you to be ready. And so he tells several different parables. And each of the parables have their own unique flavor. And we don't have time to cover all of them. But their essential message is is that you need to be ready. Uh, He tells the parable of the ten virgins and their lamps. And it's this long thing. And basically the message is, is be prepared, be ready, and know I'm coming back. Don't be surprised. And he's telling this message to his disciples to encourage them because there is going to be a delay. Jesus isn't going to come back quite as quick as they, uh, as they are expected. And so we as Christians, 2,000 years later, need to listen to the same message and encouragement. Be wise and ready, waiting for Jesus' return. And what the sheep and goats parable is telling us in Matthew 25 And starting in verse 31 is is that when Jesus does come back, this is what we can expect. And so Jesus' delay is over. He comes and he arrives to them as the Son of Man who's reigning over the nations. And that's where we pick up in Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So already the imagery is of Christ's return, the gathering of the nations, and this will be what is called the end times. This is Christ coming to restore, Christ coming to separate and uh, bring about judgment. All authority is given to Christ he will then enact judgment. He will separate the sheep and the goats. Verse 33, he will will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This morning, I, I have a pop quiz for someone. Uh, I was going to invite Tim up, but Riley's the next best thing. I need you to come on stage, Riley. Everyone give Riley a round of applause. Thank you for volunteering to be up here. Um, we'll get you a mic because we need a microphone. Ryan, if you would pull up the quiz, I, I would appreciate it. We're going to put you on a quiz. This is a game show, okay? okay. Um, the points, I'll give you 100 points for each thing. The points don't matter, but it'll make you feel good. Okay. All right. You're welcome to have crowd support. Um, you can phone a friend if you want to call somebody up. You know, let's not make this drag on too much. We are on a time crunch. But Ryan, are we ready? All right. Now the game is, is it a sheep? Or a goat. All right. Now you think, do you feel pretty confident that you can tell the difference between a sheep? Well, we, we will see. All right. We will see. Uh, I, was, it, I was surprised to find out that it's actually a little more difficult. I did not score well on this quiz. All right. You're welcome to get crowd support. So is this a goat or a sheep? That's a sheep. You feel confident that that's a sheep. Everyone feel like it's a sheep? There's some head shaking no, so. I think it looks pretty much like a goat, and it's tricky. Okay, all right, go ahead. So it's a sheep. All right, so are we locking it in? Oh, it's a goat, all right. So that was, uh, that, that's a good warm-up. We'll see what's next, all right. There's some horns on there. Is it? What do you guys think? There's horns on it. Papa, is it a sheep? Is it sheep? They're saying sheep. sheep. Let's see what happens. Yay, oh, you're right, I'm a sheep. But that was surprisingly difficult, right? You're a little doubtful in the answer. All right. Okay, keep going. That's a goat. Goat? It's got a little bell on it. I mean, did it, was it, what do you think? Get, like listen to your audience. Right. They're here to help you. Sheep? Where's sheep? Sheep, all right. I'm Franny the sheep. There you go. That was hard, though, wasn't it? You were leaning towards go. What do you think? It's a goat? 
but it really looks like sheep, doesn't it? Hmm, what do you think? Lock it in. Tell Rylan to lock it in. Look at you. Good job, Riley. Is there another one? One more question. But it's in the mountains. It could be a mountain goat. Yeah, that's a goat. Look at the goat. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to me. I'm, I'm here to <laughs> set you up for failure. Sheep? Sheep? I'll go sheep. All right. Sheep it is. Oh, look at you. You're a professional. Nicely done. All right. Hey, we're not going to put our email in. We don't need five more questions. All right. There was a point to that, point being that it is actually surprisingly more difficult to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat, isn't it? And this is something that I picked up on in my studies this week as I was reading through this text, that uh, there's, a, there's a very real paradigm there that Jesus is trying to help us see and understand, that Jesus is the right judge and we're not. It, took, it takes the professional shepherd to know which, is, which are his sheep and which are his goats. They would have been out in the field together. He would have known better. Jesus tells other parables with this same message. He tells the parable of the, of the weeds that are sown in the wheat. And we can't tell the darnel is the darnel weed. That we can't tell the difference between the wheat and the weed when they're just growing. The younger they were, the harder they were to tell apart, weren't they, the sheep and the goats? You know, if you were to sit with the disciples, they probably would have all said, yeah, guys, we're, we're all sheep in this story. In the meantime, there was a goat sitting right there with them named Jesus, or Judas. Right? And so there's this really sort of underlying but powerful point that who's the one who's the right one to judge? Who gets to discern who are the sheep and who are the goats? It's the shepherd. And so I, I really just, I came away from my studies on that thinking, man, oh man, there's a lot of times where I like to point out who the goats are. There's a lot of times where I get it way wrong, too. You know, just as I displayed my immense knowledge of cows, maybe I don't know every situation as well as I think I do. Who's made a misjudgment in their life? Who's... Who's been misjudged in their own life, in their own actions, in their own attitudes? And so part of this passage, I think, is to sort of alleviate for the disciples, and it's this important reminder for them to know that Jesus is the one who will do the dividing. That Jesus is the one who will do the very best thing to separate his flock and care for it in the right way. That he's the judge, and we are not. And so that was like the big thing that was just kind of like really weighing heavy on my heart. I was like, you know, I don't know that I've really emphasized that as much as I need to in my own life. And I look forward to the day that Christ will return and that Christ will right wrongs, that Christ will set, uh, set the world apart from the evil and the destruction and all of the selfishness and sinfulness and all of the things that have broken and destroyed creation. We need a God who will come and rightly divide good from evil right and wrong we need a god who will come and reign over us properly 
And so some of, some of this passage, I think the point of it is, and again, he's addressing his disciples. He's saying to the guys, listen, it's me to judge. It's me who will come and separate. I am the rightful one over all of it. And that is an exceptionally and wonderfully good thing, right? It's Christ is Lord, Christ reigns, and he will judge. Because when Christ judges us, hopefully he will see within us a love for him. And that's ultimately what this passage is about. There's a question about who are the sheep and who are the goats. As we think about preparing ourselves for Christ's return, I think everyone here is like, I think I want to be a sheep, right? (laughs) It's like, you definitely want to be in this scenario looked at as one of Christ's sheep, as one of Christ's children who are obedient to him and love and trust in him. And so the question is, is what is it that the sheep are doing? And I think sometimes we pick up this passage and we will read it like, okay, we gotta, we have to do all of these things. We have to feed everyone, make sure we're given a cup of water to someone. I grew up thinking that one day I was going to give a cup of water to Jesus himself. Like that's how my brain, when I read this story, I was thinking, boy, I bet that guy's Jesus. I better go give him a cup of water. Just in my very literal young mind, I thought, okay, I'm giving water to Jesus in this moment. And maybe I am, who knows. But the point of the passage actually draws us towards loving who? Who are we called to love and care for and meet the needs of? It says right there in the text, and it's surprisingly simple, but they ask the question, when did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply in verse 40, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's encouraging them to love fellow disciples. This isn't about fixing the world. This is about loving the people who are across the pew from you. And that's a, maybe a radical idea from what we've been told, that maybe we feel like we have to fix all of the world problems and really we just need to care for and meet the needs of the people across from you. Jesus is maybe oversimplifying things, but it's really a beautiful picture of what I think he's calling the church towards. That the sheep are those who love others really well. You know, we have, uh, we have a lot of challenges in front of us. We have global challenges, things that we can work on, things that we can, as Christians, give, um, you know, zealously towards to fix and help and provide clean water and education and help people. This is not discouraging that. This is saying Jesus is calling us to love each other. Jesus is calling us to care for and meet the needs of the people who are in this room and, and uh, who are maybe you know in our neighborhood and in our community and care for one another that way. In some ways, it kind of alleviates some of the pressure. It's like, Okay, I don't have to be all things to everyone. I don't have to fix all of the world's problems. But I do get the privilege to listen to, love, and encourage the people in my church family. So when Jesus says, uh, you know, thank you for caring for me, thank you for loving me, thank you for blessing me, and you're asking the question, Jesus, I don't know when I did that. Jesus will say to you, well, you know when you brought that crock pot filled with wonderful chili to someone who just had a baby, that was a great moment in which you blessed me and encouraged me. 
You know that moment you came and you visited me when I was in the hospital and I was sick and you prayed for me? When it was, you know, little Susie who needed encouragement? You know when you visited her? That was, an, that was a special moment where you blessed me and you encouraged me and you were there for me. Jesus is taking the everyday movements and encouragements and notes and blessings of a church family and he's saying, this is how you see me, this is how you love me. So go and keep doing those things. Keep being that blessing to one another. And then he's also challenging us to say that if you are just holed up and you don't do any of these things for family, if you don't do anything to care for my people, if you don't do anything to bless and encourage the disciples, then have you really grabbed a hold of this kingdom message? Has it really sunk into your heart? If you're not doing these things, if you're not participating in the kingdom life, then have you really truly listened to the message of the king himself? Because for you to listen to this message, that the kingdom is here, that sin is forgiven, that, that Christ reigns and that there is life and hope and salvation and deliverance, that there's hope for you. If you believe that, then you're not just going to stay holed up in a corner. You're going to bless others. You will give freely the drinks that you have. You will bless and you'll encourage. You'll give abundantly because you know you have everything you need in Christ. So the generosity of God just sort of pours out of God's family towards one another and for one another. So I see in this text a challenge for the church to be the church, to be a family, to whatever we do for these brothers and sisters of Christ. If you call yourself a part of God's family, then it is our role to bless and love God's family. An honest assessment of that, we can certainly find some failures and certainly find difficulties in our life and our walk together as Christians. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect systems. There's no perfect programs. There are none of those things in existence. You can shop for any church and you will find brokenness and hurt and the ways in which we don't live up to this. But here's a suggestion. Here's a suggestion, I think, for churches to change radically towards what the kingdom call is. There is a hubris and there is a hypocrisy problem in the church. Lindsay paid a very nice compliment to me, and immediately, in my mind, I thought, man, she's right. <laughs> there's a hubris, hubris problem in the church because there's humans in the church. Thank you for the compliment. Obviously, it's overstated. And I need to keep that in correction. I need to keep that in check. And the way that we do that is last week's message. It's last week's message on hypocrisy. It's last week's message that the way we combat the sort of hubris and hypocrisy of the church is through honesty and humility. Honest with ourselves honest with others, being open and vulnerable with people so that they know our brokenness. None of you all have to fake it. It's okay. You know, it's become a popular thing to say, and I, and I agree with it. It's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to let others know that you're not okay. Right? 
We don't need to put up a charade that we have it all figured out. We need to let people know that there is one who is caring for us and meeting all of our needs in Christ. We diminish the power of Christ's work and healing power in us when we deny the things that are broken in us. So we are open, we are honest, we are humble. You don't follow your leader in this one. You follow Christ, who is truly humble, who truly lays down his life, who does not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be reached, but he makes himself nothing, pouring out his life, even to death, so that in him we might have life and hope and salvation. In him we might be lifted up through Christ pouring out his life. And so last week's message on hypocrisy and pride and all of those things, those, that last week's message is something that we will perpetually need for the church to remind us that we are called to honesty and humility. And I think that to keep the H train moving, what we need still then is what the sheep and goats lesson teaches us, and it's hospitality. Think of all of the hospitality terms Jesus uses in one little parable. You gave them something to drink. You gave them some food. You gave them some shelter. You gave them uh, uh, food, clothing, shelter. You gave them everything that they needed. Jesus is encouraging his church to be the most hospitable place and people on earth. He is saying, you are the people who open your homes. You are the people who open your hearts. You are the ones who bless and encourage and love and fill this place, fill this earth with kindness and humility. That's you. And you do it one note card at a time. You do it one pot of chili at a time. You do it one big plate of brownies at a time or cookies are a great way. Or I could go on through the dessert list, you know, cobbler with a little ice cream, a la mode, I mean... That is life, sharing a table with someone and blessing and encouraging them. That is hope, that is encouragement, that is bringing people who feel lost in this world, it gives them a place at the table and they feel there is worth and dignity and love in them because they are worth sharing a table with. I think Jesus is calling us to honesty, humility, and hospitality, and if we get those things right, then the kingdom is on display. Lives are changed. Lives are changed at the hospitality of a dinner table. Where people who have felt ostracized all of their lives find out that they have a place in the family of God. Is it any wonder that Jesus said the best way you can point people to the cross, the best way that you can remember me, the best way that you can honor what I'm doing is to sit around a table and remember my sacrifice. That in the context of a meal, you would remind people that Christ died for them. And so when you take the bread in any moment and you separate that bread and you break it, you say Christ's body was broken for you. And as you drink your grape juice, not your wine. You know, this is a Christian church, right? I'm just picking on all you. That you would remember Christ's body broken and his blood shed, that you would honor him. I think Jesus is calling us to hospitality. 
And I, I know that that word feels like my house isn't big enough, my house isn't clean enough, and I am not a good enough cook. Well, let me tell you, I have been in houses much, much smaller than yours. And I have shared in food much, much worse than yours. And I have felt so much love in those places, in the humblest of circumstances on God's earth. Warm, floppy, American cheese that wasn't American. It was, I don't know what it was. <laughs> Imitation American cheese doesn't have a nice flair to it, does it? Ricky and I shared in meals in Cuba. Remember Rafa? <laughs> we have been in places. Wow, Tim's got the kids excited. That's good. Far humbler, but I have felt so much love there because Christ was there. And that's the point. He says, when did, you, when did you see me? When did, when did we see you, Jesus? Well, you saw me, and I saw you when we shared together, when we met together, when we loved each other, when we fed each other, when we gave each other a drink, when we were there simply opening our lives to each other. You saw me. Sometimes you talk to Christians and they say, it's been a while since I've seen God working in my life. It's been a while since I've really been a part of the church. It's been a while since I've really felt like my faith was alive. It may sound overly simple, but I assure you it's not. There are so many encouragements in my life that have simply happened because I met with someone in their home and they opened it to me. And I'm willing to bet that you have had similar experiences. When you've shared around a table with someone who loves the Lord and they love you too. Friends, I'm calling you to eat together. I'm calling you to open your home. I'm calling you to open your heart message of the sheep and goats is really pretty simple. I have it there for us. Be ready. Jesus is the judge. And love everyone. I know it's overly simplified. But that's it, isn't it? Be ready. Jesus is the judge. Love everyone. And love everyone because... We really don't know who the sheep and goats are. And he does. And he'll sort all of that out. It's our job to see someone and love them and show them Christ. Open your homes and open your hearts. Be God's witness in this world. The saving, redeeming love of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your encouragements to us through your word. Remind us this morning, Lord, that you are the judge. 
that you are the one that knows best, that you know each of our hearts, you know what we've done and what we haven't done, you know what we deserve and what we don't deserve. Within all of that, God, we rest our faith, our life, our hope in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Lord, today we trust in you. Renew our hearts for loving one another. Lord, we have been through so much as a church family and we just pray that today you would stir in our hearts again a love for hospitality, a love for one another, a love that knows no bounds. Lord, that we would point people to a life with you. Lord, as we live out the reality of your kingdom that's broken into this world, as we live out the reality that you are returning, let us be ready today. Lord, if we're not ready, stir in us a, a sense of, of purpose, stir in us a sense of urgency to ready ourselves for your return. Lord, we don't know when you're coming, but we need to know that you are. And we trust in your judgment, Lord, and help us to separate ourselves from that, our own hypocrisy and our own judgment, Lord, that so often stands in the way. And today, God, help us to love everyone. Because everyone, everyone has you. It can be an opportunity to love you. So God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.